You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. If we haven't met, my name is Brian. I'm lead pastor here at Willamette. And if you have grown up in church, this series is for you. If you have not grown up in church, if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, this, this series is for you. And we're starting today for the month of November, a new series that's called Entrusted. And the big idea behind this series is, is not just kind of the question of like, who do we believe in? Or what does it mean for followers of Jesus to believe in Jesus? But, but also the question that all of us should be asking is not just who do we believe in, but then how should we live? What does it mean for us to live the life that Christ has invited us into? And for all of us, I hope that if you do have your faith in Jesus or you do put your faith in Jesus, that you wouldn't just believe in God, but that you would live for God, that we would be a people that are a shining light to a world that is trying to figure out what it means to understand who God is and what he has for us. And this idea of entrusted is this idea that we are partners with God to display the glory of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, for we are co-laborers together with God. There's this partnership. You and I are co-laborers. We partner together with God. And together, it's not just God's job. It's not just my job. It's our job together to partner with God to live the life and display the goodness of God. And if we were to continue reading this text, we'll do that another day. But if we were to continue reading this text, there's this metaphor, this gardening metaphor of, of one person plants, the other person waters, but ultimately it's God who makes it grow, but we have a responsibility, you and I, not to just believe in God, but to live for God. Not to just kind of put our hope in God, but to partner with God and we are entrusted with a life. And that's why here at Willamette, we have values that kind of reflect that. Here's our three values here at Willamette. Radical hospitality, uncommon humility, and sacrificial generosity. These aren't merely statements of belief. We have those too. But this is more how then shall we live? What does it mean for followers of Jesus in our society, in our culture, in the greater Portland area to live out a life that displays the goodness of God as he's entrusted us to live. And the great thing about these values is that they're beautiful. When we live this out, who doesn't want radical hospitality shown to their life or uncommon humility or who hasn't uh, been grateful for people who have been generous to them? It, it's beautiful, but come on, somebody. Uh, it's beautiful and hard. Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Like, this is difficult. Uh, I think a lot of times it's, it's countercultural to what we see in society. In fact, like, uncommon humility, that's not normal in this society. What we see is not uncommon humility. I think you can agree with me. We see uncommon hostility right? Like that's normal right now. It's a cutthroat world. We're going to just gather people who are just like us. We're going to yell at people who are not like us. There's like an intense level of hostility. And sometimes it comes from us, right? I've talked to a lot of you and I've admitted to a lot of you. Like 
man, I don't want to be as angry as I am. I don't want to live this life that this kind of has this gravitational pull to the ugly side of me. And so Jesus says, I got something better for you than that. I want to invite you not to just believe in me, but, but to live in the way that I've established for you. And so here's the big idea with this Entrusted series. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by God, and we are accountable for how and for who we leverage it. This is a big statement for our lives. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by God, and we are accountable for how and for who we leverage it. This is a series about taking ownership and responsibility. And specifically for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what it means to live this out when it comes to sacrificial generosity. What does it mean with what God has entrusted to us for, for how and for who we leverage it? And again, it's countercultural because a lot of times uh, we have faith, but we like to compartmentalize our faith, right? We kind of draw a line in the sand. It looks something like this, like, God, I'll believe in you. I'll give my heart to you and I'll give you that part of me. But like over here, there's a line in the sand like I am still the king of my castle. Uh, no one else is going to tell me what to do with my money because it's mine. I believe in God, but I'm going to live for me. I'll sing to you, God. I'll talk about you getting the glory. I'll talk about you giving you the highest praise. But like the highest praise, like I'm going to sing about you, but like, I don't know about the actual living the life for you. And we draw lines. Now, if you have grown in church, you know how this works, right? Because Jesus doesn't see any lines. And if you're, you haven't grown up in church or you don't know this, Jesus cares about the totality of who we are. And he says in the scriptures, he says, Hey, just so you know, there's no line. He says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. And most of us are like, no, I'm not serving money. I'm serving you, God. I'm just saying I don't have enough money. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm just kind of struggling with how all this works. And it's hard. I'm telling you, it is contradictory to what is very normal in our life. Because it is normal to need more. And it is normal to want more. And most of us, in fact, I would just, I'm going to just assume something positive about you right now. I think every person in this room wants to be generous, but there's a tension. There's a question. And there are legitimate questions that lead to us to wrestle with things like this. What do we do with giving and generosity when the cost of living is skyrocketing and the stock market is fluctuating, right? Now, originally, just FYI, originally I had plummeting here, but that seemed too harsh. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, you know, it's up 400 or whatever, you know, like, ah, but, but at best, right? At best, it's fluctuating. But cost of what, what do you do? Like, I want to be generous. I want to give. But Brian, do you get outside of these four walls? Because it's crazy out there, right? Like inflation, mortgage rates, rent, gas, right? Groceries. It's insane, and not just kind of those normal necessities of life. We're, we're asking questions about wrestling with what we're trying to do and how we're raising families. I have parents talking to me like, Brian, we're thinking about private school, but private school is like the cost of a second mortgage. And I don't know how to, if we're going to be able to afford that. And others are, are like, what do you mean private school? Like that's not, an, that's not even in the closest realm of possibility for us because we don't have enough money. And at the end of the day, we're all asking this question. What do we do with giving and generosity when most of us wish we had a little bit more and some of us would say 
We need a lot more. You don't need to raise your hand. I'll raise your hand for you. Like, like there's not a single one of us that doesn't wish that we had a little bit more, right? Like, none of you are going to be so disappointed if you go into work tomorrow and find out you had a raise. Like, oh, no, I can't even believe it. In fact, like, whoever sets my salary, I, you know, it, you need to make that happen. I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I, I will say thank you. It's all good, right? Like, like none of us. What do we do? What do we do when we wish that we had a little bit more? Or some of us would go, it's not just kind of wishing I had a little bit more. I literally need more. And not only that, but you have a lot of people in your life asking for your money, right? You have nonprofits, good nonprofits. You have churches. You have politicians. It's an it's a, a election cycle right now, and fear tactics are in full swing, and if they don't get elected, this whole world will explode the third week of November, right? Like, like this is how it is, and they're like, I need your money, and everybody feels like that they're asking for your money, and so the easier thing to do, I don't know about you, but sometimes this is me, the easier thing to do is to just shut down, shut everybody out, and hold on to what I have for dear life. And the problem with that is it's super normal, but it's not the life that God has invited us into. It's reactionary and rightfully so, but Jesus has something better for us. He wants us to be open-handed. Man, that's so hard because our, our fists close from those open hands for one of two reasons. On one hand, we close our fist, close our hand to a fist because of scarcity. Scarcity mindset closes our fist and says, I need more. Brian, God didn't entrust me with enough. This is called entrusted. How about you entrust me with a little bit more and I can open my hand a little bit more. I, I need more. Retirement is coming. College is looming. Right? You can fill in your own blank. It's real. How in the world am I going to do major repairs on my house when they come to like, I, I need more. Scarcity closes our fist. And then we have a, a second hand, but it also can close because of scarcity. Scarcity says, I need more. Greed is that second fist. And greed says, I want more. I want more. I need more and I want more. And this is a situation we find ourselves in. And let's be honest. I mean, look, I know nobody wants to be greedy. Nobody claims to be greedy, but it's normal to want more, right? To, to want a better car, to remodel that room, to, to, to fix something that needs to be fixed. I, I want more. In fact, the new iPhone came out and not only the new I, iPhone, but uh, the new like headphones, I forget what they're called, but they're like square because square is cool now, I guess. And they're flat. They're really flat against your, and I'm like, I want those. And I'm like, I, I really want, like, and I'm justifying my, like, I, I, I actually need those. Those, I need those. And then I looked at the price. They're $550 for headphones. And I'm like, I can't have those, you know, like, like right? But listen, listen, it, it is normal to want more. And this is normal. But the problem is with it being normal is that it's anxiety inducing. Just to even have this topic, some of you are like, oh. But here's what I hope for you. I hope that you want to get this right. I hope if you are following Jesus that you're like, God, help me understand this. And if, if I were you and I was listening to one of my pastors, I would want my pastor to help me get it right and to call me forward into this life that God has for us because Jesus knows it's anxiety-inducing, which is why Jesus cares about all of who you are and all that you have because he has a plan and a purpose that does not cause anxiety but flourishes and causes us to have joy because of the perspective that he has for us. 
And I want, you to, I want to make sure that you get this right. There is nothing wrong with having. There is nothing wrong with wanting. I just want you guys to know, my 25th wedding anniversary is coming up, and I'm going to Hawaii, and I'm not sorry for it. Come on, somebody. Hey. You're darn right. I'm going. It's going to be awesome. I've only been to Hawaii once before in my life, and it was with my kids. That is not vacation. I'm just taking my wife, right? It's going to be great. We're going to do all the things we couldn't do when we had kids with us. It's going to be great. 25th wedding anniversary. I can't wait. This is, this is not what this series is about. What this series is about is that Jesus has something to say about our heart, about our priorities, about where we put our hope in. And this may shock some of you, but you need to know this. Jesus said more about money than heaven. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the, the, in the New Testament, that's the story in the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. He talked more about money than heaven. And if you count all the parables that Jesus shared, those are like the, the stories. He would use illustrations. <laughs> what he does is he's like, I'm not saying this is you. I'm just going to give a story about somebody else. But basically, I'm talking to you about it, right? He would tell these stories to help people wrap their minds around what it means to live for Jesus. And, and in those parables, there were about 35 to 38, depending on, on how you count. And many of those parables, if you've read this, you know this, many of those parables start with something that sounds like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd go tell a story, like a farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like this, like that. And if, you're, if you look at it at face value, you're like, oh, Jesus is telling us what heaven will be like. Like Jesus is giving us a picture of what heaven, and we think of heaven up there, which is actually pretty poor theology, Jesus would say himself, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus came to say, hey, I'm establishing the way of life that you were designed to live. And I'm going to show you what it's like to live here and now. It just has eternal effects. The way that you live now, today, tomorrow, with what's been entrusted to you, it affects you here. It affects people here. But it will last for eternity. And it is the way you were designed to live. And so this kingdom of heaven talk, about thir- out of those 30 plus parables, 16 of them had to do with money and possessions. Not heaven money, right? I don't think we'll need it, right? Like it's not about that. It's about our life here because he knew it was connected to our heart. And not just parables, but he would insert himself in real life situations. And we're going to look at one of those sections today in Luke chapter 12. And then we're going to wrap up the message with a, a command that the Apostle Paul gave the church that we're going to look at it, what that has to do with us. But in Luke chapter 12, the, the scripture we're going to look at is in verses 13 to 21. But we're going to start with verses 6 and 7 because it gives a little bit of context of what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus starts off this talk and it has nothing to do with money. Nothing at all. He's talking about very intense things like persecution, judgment, right? Uh, he's talking about the heart of God. He's talking about these big topics. But have you ever been in a conversation? I mean, not you, but probably like maybe the person next to you. Have you ever been in a conversation where like you're not listening to what they're saying because you're just waiting to like say what you want to say, right? Like this story is that situation. Because look at what Jesus says for context in verse 6. has nothing to do with money. Look at what he says. I tell you, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now again, 
Jesus isn't talking about money here at all. He's talking about the heart of God and how God sees you and how God cares about you. And if God knows sparrows that are sold for penny, pennies, you are worth way more to God than those sparrows. He knows the hairs of your head, which for some of us changes daily, right? Like God is, is close to us. And then some guy just blurts out, he must have heard the words like sold pennies and worth. He's like, oh, this is my opportunity to talk about money. Again, this isn't about money, but this is what people do. I've done it. You've done it, right? He tries to change the subject about what mattered most to him. And look at what happens in verse 13. Here's what, what he says. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus like sparrows and you're worthy to God and judgment's coming and be aware. And the dude's like, cool, cool, cool. Hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me, right? Like ignoring the teaching, just interested in, in the problem being fixed. His, his fists are closed evidently from either scarcity or greed. He's worried about his worldly wealth. And I imagine Jesus being like, okay, guy. Uh, this is totally off topic, but if you want to go there, I'll go there with you, okay? And so in verse 14, this is what he says. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, we don't know the tone of voice that Jesus has, but you know, we like to put tones in people's voices. I'm going to do that right here for Jesus, right? I don't think he was like this. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? This is what I think he said. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you, right? Like, like, come on, man. Like, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about way bigger things. And this is all you can think about. Hey, fix my problem, fix my problem. And Jesus is saying, I'm not here, just so you know, son of God here to establish the kingdom of God. He's saying, I'm not here to make sure that you get yours I'm not here to like make sure that you can get as much as you possibly can. Like I'm the gateway to all of heaven's riches and I'm here to unlock people's problems with, with inheritances. Jesus said, my highest priority is not, in is not in fixing people's financial issues just so they can get more because that is connected to our heart. She's like, this is not what I'm here to do. Who made me an arbiter? My goal as the Messiah, is not to make sure you get as much as you can possibly have. Because more isn't always better. In fact, in another scripture, unrelated to this, someone comes up and they're like, hey, you know, the government's corrupt and taxes are crazy. What are, tell us what we should do about our, our paying taxes to Caesar. And he's basically like, paraphrase here, he's basically like, pay him. And he doesn't even address the corrupt government. He didn't go, this is my opportunity to talk about what the government is doing to the financial structures of our systems today. And he's just like, bam. And they're like, what? It's not that that's not important. It's not that you shouldn't care about the government. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus came to establish about what mattered most. And what mattered most to Jesus and what matters most to him now is our heart. And most people are interested in taxes because they want more. They need more. It's to accumulate more. And Jesus is like, you're on the wrong train. That will never satisfy you. I have something better for you. 
So Jesus, back to this guy who's like, hey, help me out, Jesus. He, he uses this little crack in the door to like paint a picture for all of us. And this is what he said, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says, watch out. In other words, he told the whole crowd. He's like, I'm going from talking to this guy. Here's my opportunity. I want to teach everybody. Pay attention to this. This isn't like, well, if you're into this, I guess this is okay. He's like, no, watch out. And the reason why we need to watch out is because none of us think we're greedy. None of us think we're Scrooge. None of us think we're miserly. None of us think we're desperate. And he's like, be on your guard. Check this out. You may not see it. It may be your blind side against all kinds of greed. Greed comes in all different forms. You know, this guy with an inheritance sounds like, it, I mean, a couple of assumptions here, but it sounds like he was owed half of, his, of the inheritance. That's legit. He would go, I'm not greedy. I, I'm just trying to get what's mine. I'm just, well, Jesus, it's not like I'm like stealing and robbing from people. I'm just trying to get what's mine. Jesus, why don't you care about me? And again, Jesus is like, it's not about the amount. It's about why you think you need it so bad and how that's top priority in your life. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. If you think that, generosity and giving will always be a struggle for you because you will always have something else that you need or want. He says, that's not what life is about. I have the kingdom of heavens at hand. I'm here to show you something way better. And so he goes on to tell a parable. It's like he's probably done like making this guy feel bad, you know, like, hey man, who's, man, come on, man. So he's like, I'll tell a story and it will relate to you and everybody else, but this is what it's like. So he says this, verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Right? This is, this is how it will be. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus wanted to explain our heart, our mindset, our why. Some of you have read Simon Sinek's book, Start With The Why. Jesus is starting with the why. He's not concerned about inheritance. He's not concerned with how much you have or don't have. He's concerned with your heart. And if you notice in this parable, this man refers to everything as his. They're my barns. They're my crops. They're, it's my wealth, right? And then he consults no one. He says, and he thought to himself, right? And he thought to himself, I should do this. He didn't consult God. He didn't lean into what else he could do for it. He goes, this is a good decision for me to make. And watch this, because this is many of us, even if we don't want to admit it, because he thought, it's mine. I am the king of my castle. I am the owner of this farm. It's mine. No input from God. No input from anybody else. It's mine. And his conclusion is often what our conclusion is. Whatever is given to me is for me. That's our conclusion. 
Whatever's given to me must be for me. I earned it. I got the education. I did the hard work. I worked overtime. Do you know how hard it was for that bonus? Do you know what it's like to get hourly wages? Do you know, do you know, do you know? Whatever is given to me is for me. Jesus wasn't saying that saving up was bad. It was that everything was for him. Life does not consist of abundance, gathering of riches. We are co-laborers with Christ. We are on a mission. There's something bigger. There's something more beautiful. We're to understand the world not by possessions and getting because that will always leave us wanting. There is a life of generosity, a life of flourishing, a life where you don't have to have to find the joy that the world is telling you that you desperately need. Jesus is saying, I have something better for you. This man had to come to grips, not with the inheritance, but with his heart. And so I want to shift over to the Apostle Paul who's talking to Timothy. Timothy was his apprentice. It was uh, someone who Paul had started a church in the city of Ephesus. And he had moved on to start more churches. And so he sent Timothy back to Ephesus because Ephesus, the church, got a little sideways in their theology. Got a little sideways in not necessarily their belief in God, but what it meant to live for God. And Paul knew this was a big deal. Paul knew if the church gets sideways... The church meaning the people, not the building. If the church gets sideways, this better life, this mission of God, this co-laboring, this establishing the kingdom of God and bringing hope to people who think they need all these other things to find hope and joy, he knew that it would affect the mission of God. And so he writes a letter to Timothy. And he's like, hey, bro, you're there, I'm not. You need to go talk to the church and make sure that they understand that this is a big deal. And so his first word in this text that we're gonna look at is a big word. It's a strong word. First Timothy chapter six, here's the first word in verse 17, command. In other words, he's like, he's not like, hey, bro, like if I were you, you know, like you're, you're over there, but like I would just encourage people. No, he didn't say encourage. He's like, command. He didn't say how about you suggest this as an option for the life that they're living? He's like, no. He's like, this is a big deal. I have a command. Now, we, the question's begging to be asked. Command what? Command who? Let's continue. Command those who are rich in this present world. And most of us go, sweet, that is not me. <laughs> In fact, every single one of us could literally, legitimately go, sweet, this is for somebody else. I just, God hasn't entrusted me with that much, so I, I just, whatever this is, this isn't for me. Let's move on and talk about how Jesus loves little children or something. You know, like, let's, let's just go back to some fun stuff, right? But here's the deal. Rich then means different than rich now. In the first century, if you were considered rich, it literally meant anything beyond survival literally meant anything beyond shelter, food, and clothing to make it to the next day. In the world that we live in today, there are people who are still living that way. And if you haven't been in proximity to people or nations or groups of people who literally are trying to get stuff done today so that they can see tomorrow, it's an eye-opener. And Paul is telling Timothy in first century, he's saying, hey, if you are rich, if you have extra, if you have extra, this is what I want to 
encourage you to do. And the, the joke, not joke for us about being rich is this. Uh, nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is, right? I'm not rich. Are you kidding? I'm a pastor. Are you kidding? I'm not rich. And there's somebody looking at me going, I would love to have your income, bro, right? And then like, oh, I'm not rich. And this is what we do. We're like, we're not rich. You know who are rich? Professional athletes. They're rich, right? And you talk to a professional athlete, they're like, you, you think I'm rich? You should see the owners. The owners are the people who have all the money. Then you talk to the owners of those teams. They're like, we're not rich. Let me put you on my jet. I'll take you to Dubai. I will show you oil. I will show you what real rich is, right? It's so easy to push off on somebody else rather than take responsibility for what we actually have. If you have extra survival, you've been entrusted. So back to our verse. Command, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So the first command is a command of what not to do. He says, don't be arrogant. In the Greek, this word arrogant is, is this idea of being high-minded. I think higher than you. I dismiss those thoughts. I'm arrogant. I don't need this verse. This isn't for me. This is for somebody else. Uh, no, Paul's saying, this is for you. Don't be arrogant. Don't dismiss this message because of where you see yourself if you are beyond the rate of survival. And he says, don't put your hope in wealth. If I just had more, if I just had more. Come on, you guys. Powerball's 1.6 billion, right? You want to know why you're laughing? Because you know, you know. You're like, ah. some of you are like, I have numbers. I have numbers, right? 1.6 billion. Did anybody win yesterday? Does anybody know? I don't even know. Did they? I didn't know. No? No? What is it? 1.8? I don't even know how this works. That's a lot of money. Some of us have been like, oh, if only I could win. What are the odds? Like one in like 300 million that you win the Powerball, right? But this is what we do. If even those of us who have never played Powerball, we naturally think, if I had more, oh, I would be okay. And since I don't have more, I'm not okay. And Jesus says, this is not the equation for your hope. This is not how you determine whether or not your life can flourish, whether you can be happy, whether you can be joyful, whether there can be peace in your life. It is so uncertain. Wrong mentality. Paul continues, he says this, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. To put our hope in God, God, you have joy for me. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You have a fruit out of my life will come these things as I put my hope in you because he richly provides now, bad pastors with bad theology turn this into some kind of health and wealth that like if you give to God, God will richly provide back to you. God will make you rich. Do you realize how bad theology that is? If riches are not our hope, why would God just promise to make us rich with riches? That's counterproductive. It doesn't mean that God won't provide financially. It doesn't mean that a multitude of us don't have stories of how God has provided for us financially. But it's not to get rich because rich isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. We put our hope in God. You see, I don't have to be afraid of scarcity because less isn't a loss. 
Because even when riches go down, my hope is not found in what goes up or down, which is so uncertain. And he wraps up in verses 8, 19 with a second command. The first command was like, don't do this. The, the uh, final command in verse 18 and 19 is what to do. And this is what he says in verse 18. Command them, there's command again. Command them to do what? To do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's not like, you know, if you're having a good week or this is, you know, I hear this all the time. Brian, 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 Brian. Like, I would if I could. In the future, I will. But right now, it's just not a good time. And you go from a teenager that's like, Brian, like, I'm a teenager, man. Do you know how much my games cost? Do you know how much it costs to go out? Do you know how much insurance is? My parents are going to make me pay my own insurance. You start from a baby, a toddler going, mine. Right? It's not a good time for a toddler, right? Like, be willing to share. Now's not a good time. Mine, mine, ha! Right? Like there's a little airplane. Johnny wants his airplane. It's not a good time. You, watch this, watch this. Please hear me on this. You will never graduate to an age and stage of life where it's a good time. It has to be the right time because of who God has called you and entrusted you to be to live the life of flourishing that he has for you. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. We orient our life and our finances to partner with God for his kingdom to come. The final verse says this, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we do this, we lay up a treasure that is a firm foundation for the coming age. Some people wrongly interpret this, again, heaven up there. The coming age isn't when we die and all of a sudden, like, we get a crown in heaven and there's a mansion and there's streets of gold. Honestly, like, I I don't need to pay bills in heaven. I need money here, right? Like, that's what we think. Like, uh, great God that you have stuff for us now, but what are we, or for them, but what are we supposed to do now? This coming age, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you live this way, there will be a firm foundation in the coming age from this moment forward. Jesus was establishing the kingdom. It's just that even though it starts now, it has eternal value. It transcends this life and the next life because we're a part of something that is the life that is truly life. There is flourishing. There is joy. Instead of living like this, we can go, I don't need it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to give it. I want to be a part of what God has invited us into. We were designed to have an impact. And you don't have to go, I'm out. God didn't pick me. God just chose the rich people because I, I, don't, I don't have enough. No, we're all in it. And so we, we are to be rich in good deeds, be generous, and be willing to share. Friends, our hope is not in, mu- in how much we have. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. I want to invite the band to come up as we begin to wrap up today. But here's the deal. You need to understand this. If you are, let me just talk to those of you who do believe in Jesus. Like you would say, I, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He, he died, buried, was resurrected. He's the Son of God. And he's, he's invited us into a life. Friends, no one else in this world is co-laboring with God. No one else but the church. We are it. We are the ones that invited. Anybody that puts their hope in God, you are invited to co-labor and you need to wrap your mind around this. No one else is co-laboring with God. We're it. 
And so the partnership that we have to do our part with the life that he's given us, no matter how much or how little we have, we are called to co-labor with God and partner with God. Other people who don't believe in Jesus will co-labor for other things. They'll co-labor for even good things. And and I'm glad. I co-labor for some things outside of the church as well. But we, we should do that. But here's what I'm saying. The church is plan A and there is no plan B. If God's kingdom is to be established, if we're to be a shining light in the world, if we're called to bring hope to the hopeless and bring light to the darkness for the wandering and the weary, we are it. And so our heart starts with, yes, I can, not no, I can't. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for you. I want to make it super practical for all of us. For the next two months, over this series in November and through the holidays to the new year, for the next eight weeks, I want, I want you to use this as an inventory season of your life. Whether you give or don't give, whether you have never given, the reality is in most churches, about 50% of people who attend church regularly never give anything ever because they think it's somebody else's job or somebody who has more money. And I, I get it. I totally get it. All those reasons. Just so you know, I have all those questions and all those, but God, what about this? And what about that? How's this going to work? But I trust God's way over my way into this life. So over the next two months, I want you to invite you to do this. Choose a percentage of your income and give it away as soon as you get paid. Two months. If you you don't ever give, just two months. Try this out. Choose a percentage. For those of you who already give, wonderful. But, but I want you to think about it as soon as. Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody to ask you about it. Choose a percentage. Now, you need to choose a percentage that you can feel. Someone's like, I'm going to give 0.015% of my income, and you're welcome, right? No, no, no. No, no. You'll, you'll never miss it, right? You need to choose a percentage that causes you to go, ah. Ah. <laughs> Why? Because we're trusting God. People get caught up a little bit in, in the church, and rightfully so. There's a debate about our conversation about tithing. Tithing in, in the scriptures, it's 10%. See that a lot in the Old Testament? Jesus actually refers to tithing in the New Testament. But regardless, tithe doesn't mean 0.015%, doesn't mean 4%, or so. it means 10. Some people might ask, like, why? Why 10? And there's answers to that. Here, here's, here's my just easy take. I think God knew that 10% would cause us to trust. Whew. 10. 10. Okay, 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 okay. But still give us 90%. It's not taking it all, not, not anything like that, but allowing 90% for us to live our life, to live and save. A 10% trust God. And it's in the scriptures. I'm not getting caught up in here in this today. I just want you to pick a percent and begin to go, okay, God, I'm trying to live the life, not just believe in the theology. So practice giving for two months. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Christmas giving and all those kinds of things. It's, it's awesome. But that's not the point of this message. The point of this message is your heart. It's where you're at. And, and, and I know this, and this is why the second part of this challenge is just as important as this first part. Here's second second part. So important. When you do that, pay attention to the tension that this creates. Pay attention in your heart 
to the internal tension that this creates, the questions, the rationalizing, the, oh, God, help me, I don't know, the fear, the hope of what you really think you want or need. And then to go along with this, listen closely. Let's go to this next part. Listen closely to the conversations you have in your mind. Well, this is just being legalistic. I just don't know. Our church just wants my money. Uh, Read the scriptures. Read the gospels. Read what Paul invites the church into. You decide for yourself. No manipulation. No coercion. I, I'm telling you, I'm sitting there and I'm like, if, I, if I'm listening to my pastor, I want my pastor to call me for it and I want to get it right. I am part of the church. There's no plan B. I believe that this is an opportunity because what do we believe? What do we believe is the life that is truly life. You and I have been entrusted, dare I say, commanded as followers of Jesus to recognize our roles and responsibility. If you're not following Jesus, This is the life that Jesus invites us into to trust him. Not just with, is he Lord and Savior, but will he be Lord in our lives? So let's let's embrace this question. How might this require me to reprioritize where I put my money? Oops, nope, it's not my money, right? That's what the farmer said. To reprioritize where I put the money that has been entrusted to me. It's not mine, it's to be entrusted. So teach me, God, what it is to trust you with. And I believe that what we talk about in the coming weeks, Christmas offering, I'm going to be mentioning, I want to say the phrase right now, but I won't because you'll Google it. Then you'll know, and then it'll be a buzzkill when I actually talk about it. There's some really cool stuff we're about to do that's going to be phenomenal, awesome, phenomenally awesome, um, our Christmas offering. But today, today's just about your heart. Let's surrender. Let's be people that respond with a resounding yes to what God has invited us into, that we would experience the life that is truly life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for communicating with us and clarifying what it is to follow you, not just believe in you. I pray for every person in this room, God, that you'd have our hearts. And we know that our heart is connected to all the rest of us. God, I thank you for this church, which has been so generous. There are people sitting in these rows that have been sacrificially generous, that have given up what they love for what they love even more, and that's being a part of your kingdom, what you've entrusted them to. Help us to continue. May every person who gives be encouraged in their giving. May people who are wrestling with what it means with all of the needs of this world, may we bring those tensions to you rather than run from you. And above all, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for coming to us, that we may be saved, that we may be invited into this kingdom that is so much better than where we found ourselves. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.